0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome. I'm Steve Hambrick. I'm the pastor here at Vintage, and I am really glad that you are here. Um, I want to just kind of fill you in, for those of you who do not know. uh, We did about what's what's going on at Vintage and has been for the last year and a half. About a year and a half ago, somebody approached us and said, hey, we would like, uh, like I would, would like to sell you eight acres of property, and uh, and I want to give you 40. And so we basically we have 48 acres of vintage here uh, that we own on Cedar Crest Road. We pay 430 thousand dollars for it. It's worth 3.25 million, and we recognized in that right. This just speaks uh, to to God's God's favorite vintage, is saying, Hey, listen, I want to do something with vintage. I want to do something on this property with vintage, and so. Back in January through March, the whole vintage family came together and we engaged something called the Rooted Initiative, where basically we said, hey... Every single person who considers themselves a part of vintage, we're asking that you would prayerfully consider how God would want you to financially connect with and invest above ties and offerings into the future of what God's doing. We set a goal of about a million dollars and we hit about eight hundred and ninety thousand dollars, about one million, over the next two years. And so people have already begun giving towards that. And I'll share that with you because I just simply want you to know if you have if you're new to vintage, you may not know what's going on and what we're a part of and what the root initiative is all about. Uh, but that's who we are. And so we've been doing these updates every couple of months just to kind of, hey, this is where we are. This is what's going on, keeping everybody on the same page. Here's what's going on with our property. And so out of that so far, that $890,000 has been pledged, $95,000, a little bit more than that has come in uh, since April. So we're really excited about that. It's greater than 10%, and we feel really good about that. There are those of you who are still planning on giving. And so what I would simply say is this is, Obviously, as we move forward in talking to banks, money in our bank obviously is better than money pledge, although both is really important. So if you've not made a plan yet of how you're planning on giving and when you're doing that, I would just simply ask that you would begin thinking about and planning for that as you move forward in the context of giving and fulfilling that pledge in the next couple of years. Now, with that in mind... Uh, if you don't know, kind of the vision of what we're looking for on this property is that, yes, we want, we want to, one, we want to rebuild what we have here. We want to continue to do vintage. We want to build a, a building that we can worship in on Sunday mornings that has space for our children to, to do discipleship and children's ministry. We want to have space for our youth to meet. We think it's vital that we continue to do what we're doing here, but we also have a vision beyond, because I don't know if you know about this, know this or not, but we probably couldn't fit a church building on 48 acres of land. It's a lot of property, right? And so we said, God, we want to use this property for other things. So we talked about using it in the context of our neighbors. Your neighbors saying, "Let's build like a community type hub. So let's put a playground, let's put a restaurant or a coffee shop or an amphitheater or uh, uh, just a, a, a space for walking trails on this, so that your neighbors can come six days, seven days of the week, and just come and hang out on this property and make it a hangout space. And then second or third, we said we want to be about mission, right? We all, we, we just talked about fostering hope and foster care, and that's a primary heartbeat and passion of who we are and will be forever." And we said, let's then use this space to help ultimately be part of the answer for the foster care crisis in Georgia and the United States of America. So we talked about, hey, let's create a visitation center in, inside of our space. Let's talk about possibly in time putting houses, foster care homes on our property for specifically teenagers, those who are most at risk. And so the idea simply is that we we have this bigger vision than who we are, and to be honest with you, a bigger vision than what we have money for today, right? And so in that, so Kelly Davis is part of a team of people like with Dwayne Still and Scott and Randall and myself, Tim Parker's been a part of this, Brad Henson, uh, we've talked to Mike Thurman. This is a group of people who are going to come alongside and say, all right, we're going to be part of this team on the very front end to really begin helping us move forward. And so we met the leadership team last week and we highlighted this smaller group of people who said, all right. You're going to begin right now working with first phase, recognizing first phase is going to be let's build something like this that gets us onto our property so that we can stop spending money on this building, right, that we're not getting any return from, and let's get onto our property. And then at that point, the idea is we're working now to with architects and with some contractors. say, All right, let's begin thinking getting on property now, what that looks like. And what phases look like for us moving forward, recognizing some of these come in phases, and so we've empowered this team to be the wisdom for us, because I don't know if you know this or not, but I should not be leading any building program, right? That's not my area of expertise, but God has brought people Part of vintage who that is their gift, that is their was I sit literally, we sat in this last meeting and talked for an hour and I was playing on my phone for the last 30s. I have no idea what they're talking about, right? I was just like, yes, great, that's great, that's great, right? No, but seriously, this idea people we were coming together, so here's what I'm committing. As we meet with people, as we begin to create things, as we get specifics, we're going to bring them before you and keep you in the loop. But I'm simply asking you be praying for us. Because I would say this, we've been going slowly because we feel like in this season of going slowly, it speaks of wisdom. We're not in any kind of rush. God, we want to be about your timing. We're asking that you open doors and we feel like we've been moving at the pace that God has been leading us to go in this season. We feel really confident in that. But we're ready and feel like God is ready for us now to begin to move forward. And uh, so with that, that's our Rooted Initiative update. Thank you for all that you're doing in this. Keep on praying into this for us. And if you have questions above and beyond this, feel free to ask. We'd love to answer them for you. All right. Well, this morning we're going to dive back into Ephesians chapter 5 as we're doing this small group campaign together called Life. Together, The idea of the church, the body of Christ, represented in this wall right here. Obviously, we have this beautiful picture of the church being those who are building upon one another. And we're building this beautiful body that Christ is working in us to be about the things of God's spirit, being his body, his hands and his feet wherever we go. And it's a beautiful piece. So with that, we're talking this morning specifically about being imitators. We're going to look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 here in a second. But the whole theme of this morning is the idea of us, you. So you can put it into context of all of us. Everybody pay attention, all of us. And then specifically, God's looking and Paul's speaking directly to you. And the idea is saying, I want you to be imitators of Jesus. That's the that's the expectation of Paul. All right, the body of Christ, and let me just go ahead and say it up front. As we talk this morning... The expectation of Paul is that every single person in the body and in the body as a whole will be an imitation of God, a Christ likeness, that we are like Christ and all that we do with our actions, with our expressions, with our thoughts, that we are becoming imitators of God. And so Paul lays that out. And then in these verses, we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning He begins to lay that out of what that's going to look like for us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read twenty-one verses this morning, and then we're going to dive into this. Let me just say this as you're turning. I'm not going to cover every verse this morning. I'm not going to be covering every concept. I'm not going to be covering everything. There's a lot in these verses and lots of really important things. Again, I'm going to break it down into three different groupings, talk about what Paul's heartbeat is in the context of all of those, and I just want to invite you this week to dive deeper into the specific things that you believe God may be leading you to in the context of these verses. Here we go. Therefore... For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because... The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right. So this idea of imitation, all of us understand the nature of imitation. When I was a kid, my mom, I remember being in college, and she would, we would talk, and on a regular basis, probably once a year, we would talk about memories, and she would always tell me about this specific memory that she had of me growing up, and she would forget that she told me, because every time she told it, it was like a fresh and a new, and it was this, when I was four or five years old, my dad would go out and, and mow the yard, and we had one of those snappers, and it had one of those bags off to the side, right? And I was four or five years old, so I couldn't mow the yard yet, but I had my plastic dump truck, and literally, my dad would start mowing, and I'd pick up my truck, and I'd walk out to the grass, right, and I would get right behind him, and I'd get on my hands and knees, and I'd start pushing. Now I start pushing my truck and it's all of a sudden, you know, sometimes when the bag gets too full, a little bit of grass pops out the bottom, right? I would go, boom, boom, there I am. I'm here to save the day, right? So I would come up, I'd stop, put it in there because I'm mowing the yard with my dad. I'd put it in and my, he'd come back, he'd come back around. I'd get right behind me and keep on going around. Now, and literally, this is a true story. I remember this. I literally have a vivid memory of being four or five years old, literally without, it was a, it was like a, it was like a, um, red, red little dump part and then a blue truck and I would literally, I remember getting behind and pushing it. And I have a vivid memory of my mom literally standing on the driveway, just going like this, right? Because that's what moms do in those moments. And there was this, this literal e- expectation I had of wanting to imitate, of wanting to be like my dad. That was the idea of imitation. You know, the, the phrase that the proverb says imitation, imitation is the sincerest Form a flattery. That proverb has been around for a long time and so we understand it, right? The idea being clear, one person imitates another because one admires that person or values what that person is doing. We all understand the beauty of imitation it's as parents. You remember those moments that your, your children were imitating you and doing the things that you were doing and, and you probably have memories of, of trying to imitate somebody who was really important in your life. And so imitation is so powerful because literally in this, we see someone that we value. We see someone that we respect. We like and love or love what they're doing. We want to be like them. So we don't know what we're doing exactly, but we just do what's modeled for us so that we can become like them. And so in the context of these verses, Paul in verse 1 is calling us to imitate Jesus, to specifically follow God's example and walk in the way of love. And so as we dive in, I want you to recognize that Paul is coming, right? And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like this idea that we have to, that this idea of doing, God's called us to doing. He's raising up the other part of this justice scale to God. Jesus and God have done over here in the first three chapters. They've empowered us by the Spirit of God. And so now he's in us to, to do the things he's called us to do. And the idea is he's saying, now, I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus is the model that you're imitating And it's not the proverbial carrot in front of us that will never reach it. No, because of God's spirit in us, the only reason he calls us to imitate him and to be like him is because we can. And so the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we actually believe that we can imitate and be like Jesus? Specifically, not being like Jesus in the sense of like, now I'm Lord over everything. Oh my gosh, no. As in being like God in that we can express love in the, in the context of everything that we do, sacrificially giving ourselves on the behalf of others. That's what it's getting at here, right? This idea of imitating Jesus and following God's example to walk in the way of love as a lifestyle. We are to imitate Jesus. Why? Because we're his children. He's mowing the grass and we're just following along, right? That's what we're doing. And so the, the thing that we have to begin to just to, to wrestle with first this morning is where is my where is my gaze? Like you're you're trying to imitate someone and trying to aspire to something. Right. You're trying to become like someone or become like something, no matter whether you know it or not, whether it's conscious or not. What are you aspiring to and is the primary goal, the primary affection, the primary view that you have of who you're imitating and wanting to become like? Is it Jesus? We are to imitate our Heavenly Father. So in the context of all relationships, right? So we recognize and Paul's going to dive into all these things, he's about to name a list of things that we do and things that we don't, things that we recognize, things that we're aware of. Right. And so in this, we know love is expressed both in the things that we do and love is also expressed by the things that we do not do. So think about it. We, sacri- we actively sacrifice for the ones that we love, but we actively refrain from cheating on the ones that we love. The idea of there are things that we do in the context of loving others, there are things that we don't do. And what we find in these verses are actions that we're called to imitate. Actions that we're called to imitate and actions that we are to refrain from. Again, in refraining, we're simply imitating Jesus whom we're following with our truck. Right? I mean, really, it's all, I mean, I think it's beautiful just to imagine that. And I would love you to create your own image of a moment of imitation that, yes, just as so and so, right? Think about Evan and Emily for Tiffany right here. Just as Evan and Emily did something to imitate Tiff, that there's something that she's aware of, like, that's what I want to be like in relationship. So let's do this, not on my notes. Let's just pause. I'm going to pause for 15 seconds. And I want you just to say, God, would you help me have an image this morning? Just close your eyes. Just to have an, Im- a, 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 an image this morning, whether of your children, or maybe you with your parents, or maybe with someone that you looked up to, a coach or, or, a, or a teacher. Maybe it was a pastor. And just say, God, would you give me an image this morning of someone who's imitated something personal for me? About understanding imitation. All right. So now in these verses, we're going to find actions that we're called to imitate, imitating Jesus. And I want you to recognize, now hear me. The only way we can imitate is that chapters 1 through 3 happen. I'm always going to come back to this every week. We're only able to do and to imitate because why? The Spirit of God is in us to do imagining more than we could ever dream or imagine. We are empowered by His Spirit. If you're not leaning into and, and relying upon and crying out for the movement of God's Spirit, then when we get to the end of this teaching, We're going to have a moment for you to do that and recognize the the importance of it. And so here we go, breaking down these verses in three different ways. It's on the screen. Verses 3 through 14, Talk talking about living in obedience and knowing sin. Second is verse 15 through 17, living with wisdom and knowing God's will. And then verses 18 through 21, which is living in joy And knowing the spirit. All right. So we have these. These are the three breakdowns we're going to have this morning. You'll be talking about in the context of your small groups. The first living in obedience and knowing sins. Let's start here. Sin simply defined represents willful disobedience to God's will. All right. Sin. We know what we should do. And we by choice choose not to do it. God hates sin. God hates sin because it causes a separation in our relationship. And God hates separation. Why does it separate us? It's not because God separates himself or God leaves us. It separates us because sin is our choice of walking away from God's best, of walking away from his will. I want you to think about prodigal son, the father sitting here with the son and the son just chooses a willful disobedience and he leaves. He walks away into a place of darkness. Where's the father go? Nowhere. He's still there. And so the idea for sin is it's a willful disobedience where we choose, in a sense, to turn away. Did you ever turn away and disobey your parents? Like it's that idea of like, oh, I can you look in the eyes type thing, right? That's what sin does. It's this willful disobedience where we choose in that moment to separate ourselves from the context of God's will. Therefore, God does all that he can to keep us from that. God is working. He's moving in power to keep us from sin. John 16, 8 tells that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to convict us of sin, to help us know right from wrong, to clarify for us what is opposed to God's will so that we don't take unhealthy steps away from God. Our response, then, when God convicts, when he speaks, is to be obedient. That's what we're talking about here in these verses, because whatever God calls us to in obedience will always be God's best for us. And so willful disobedience takes us from the best that God has for us, although he's still here holding the best for us, right, because he loves us and he wants to convict us. He wants to move us from this and back to him. Therefore, walking in obedience, what does it require? It just requires knowing what the sin is that's in our life. That's what Paul is coming and talking about in this moment, right? He's talking about knowing sin. understand. He's talking about sin because I want you to know that it's present. I want you to know it's attacking. I want you to know and be aware of it in the context of love. I want you to name the sin that you are wrestling with. Why? Because in knowing it, then you can choose against it. And choose God. Verse 11 gives great defining language to sin by calling it fruitless deeds of darkness. Isn't that powerful? He describes sin as fruitless deeds of darkness. It's a deed that produces no healthy fruit in our life and causes darkness to come into our lives. That's what happens, isn't it? We all understand this. This is our experience in life. We make a decision, we know it's opposed to God's will, it's, it produces no healthy fruit in my life, and all of a sudden I feel darkened in my understanding of who God is, and he feels far away. And so that's the nature of what Paul's getting is I want you to be aware of sin. I want you to recognize it in your life, and I want you to choose obedience because it produces life. And then each of these we find. We find we find Paul naming four specific things. I'm just going to look at this morning. This is obviously not an exhaustive list of sin. If yours is not on this list, right, it's still sin, okay, right? There's still conviction of those things. He just names four primary things he saw in their culture, and I think we would say they're all very, very prevalent and present in our culture. Number one, he names sexual immorality. Second, he names impurity. Third, he names greed. And fourth, he names deception. Now, these four things, sexual morality, impurity, you can look at those like verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, greed and deception. All of these, we would have to say very clearly that these are sin, and they're definitely in the darkness family. Sin is always in the darkness family. Verse 8 gives this sobering news when it says, For you were once darkness, for you were once bound up in sin. What is so sobering is this. Our human, listen, our human nature, apart from Christ, is absolutely dark, it's dangerous, and it's defined by sin. Your human nature, apart from Jesus, you need Jesus to be able to walk in obedience. You need Jesus to walk in the light, right? Apart from Christ, we don't just do bad things. Our nature is dark, opposed to God in and of itself. It's why we require a Savior. And so in the context of this, what Paul is doing for us is he wants to say, hey, listen, you're Christians, you're followers of Christ. There are those who are not. And when you gave your life to Jesus, you stepped into the light. But if you continue today to choose willful disobedience, things you know you should not be doing, it's going to lead you to a place of darkness. And you're going to say something like, God doesn't even know where Jesus is anymore. He feels like he's far away. He goes, no, no, he stayed there. He hasn't moved. Your sin has blinded you. And although you stepped into the light, you stepped back into the darkness. And then there are other people who are like, I've lived in darkness my entire life. I've never met Jesus. I've never actually stepped into the light of giving my life to him. And in both of those, Jesus is saying, all right, here's the great news for us. Paul's speaking this in the upcoming verses. He says, there is power. There is power in the light of Jesus. Sin is darkness, and we give ourselves to it, the darkness will overwhelm us. But Jesus represents light, and his promise, as stated by Paul, is seen in verse 14. Listen to this. He says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Those who are are separated from God. Those who have separated themselves from God. Those who are walking in darkness. Those who have fallen into a slumber. Those who are distant and cold. Those who are far off because they've chosen it from God, right? Wake up. And get up, rise from the dead, because Christ wants to shine on you. Like, we could focus all day long on the sin. I would say, let's not do that. Let's just stop, and then let's move into the light. Listen, we can focus all day on sin, but I want to say to you, let's just say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to rise, I'm going to wake up, and wake up, I'm going to rise. Jesus, come and shine on me. That's the message of Paul. So he's saying, leave your former way of thinking, right, last week. Leave your old self, right? Put on your new self. And as you do that, as you leave that life of sin, as you say no to it, and as you walk back into the presence of Jesus, you take your eyes off of your temptations and you set them on Jesus, and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, you've been here all along. I couldn't see you. And so the first part of Paul's message is this hope is saying, there is light for you wake up, you've been asleep, let's rise up. And Christ promises that he will shine on you. So, which leads us to the second part. So there's this idea of like recognizing sin, being aware of it, waking up from it so that Christ can shine on us. And when Christ begins to shine on us, verse 15 and 17, we begin to live with wisdom and know God's will. The key verse in these three verses is verse 15, which says, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you don't live as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom speaks to an understanding of things beyond our mental reason. Right? I just want you to know that wisdom is one of the primary themes of the Old Testament, there are literally books like this written about the nature of wisdom, just in the Old Testament itself. There are others like this probably written about the New Testament. Wisdom is really, really, really important in the context, actually, not just of Judaism, but honestly of the culture upon which Judaism was birthed and which Christianity was birthed also. And so wisdom is huge, and we see Jesus' life was marked by it. Paul's calling us to it, but very succinctly, just for our conversation this morning, again, wisdom speaks to an understanding of things beyond our own mental reason, something beyond self that gives us understanding. Have you been around people, if we're honest, who you didn't recognize are not really smart, but they say something, and you're like, Hmm, how did you know that? Right? You been around those people? People say all the time, Steve, you have such wisdom, like you don't think I'm smart, do you? Right? That's my thinking. No. But the idea of wisdom is like someone who just seemingly knows something beyond what they should know. This idea of wisdom, so what Paul's getting at, and hear this, everyone hear this. Paul's speaking in the moment saying, all right, you have to make decisions of everyday life in the context of walking with Jesus. There are decisions that you're making that are vital to you that are found nowhere in Scripture. You can't just open your Bible and figure out which house to buy. Right? You can't just go... Boom. Oh. And I should take off my clothes and dance before the ark of the covenant to buy my house. That doesn't make any sense. David does that, right? No, it's the idea that you can't just do that. Like, you literally, you literally, you literally, in this moment, you can't just open up scripture and figure out what school your kids are supposed to go to. Like, it requires this level of wisdom and understanding beyond your knowledge so that, verse 17, you can understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I'll say this. Scripture is the framework. It is the it is the boundary upon which God will speak anything of wisdom. Right. But in the context of like literally like what kind of like what where should we go on vacation? Jesus, my Bible. No, it's like it's like, yes, I'll go to Greece. That's where Paul is right No, It doesn't work like that. The idea is that there are certain decisions that we make in the context of now walking into the light that require wisdom not to be unwise, but to be wise. Decisions that he calls us to very practically every day that require something of us leaning into wisdom. And so here are just four practical things that I would say about wisdom. They're not found here in this, this, this chapter of Ephesians, but it's in the context. How do, we, how do we grow from being unwise to wise? And I would simply say here are four things. Number one. Wisdom is the outgrowth of our time spent with Jesus. The only way you can imitate someone is by being around them. The only way the thought process of a person get into you is if you spend time with them and know how they make decisions, what drives their thinking. And so I've made decisions because I have been in the word of God. I've seen the nature of who Jesus is and says, well, by the nature of humility, Jesus would have made this choice. So I will make that. I only knew that how because I'd spent time with Jesus in prayer in the context of his word to understand how he works. I think in this press pause, your theology from scripture must define your politics. It must. If you do not let your politics be defined by your understanding of theology and scripture, then you're missing God's best for you in the political realm. I say that because we are in such a politically charged environment today, unlike I would say any other. And so you have to have wisdom as an outgrowth of your time spent with Jesus. Jesus is merciful. He is kind. He loves people. He never suppresses people. He never does anything that hurts people. He's always drawing them in. He is for the unborn. He is for those who are marginalized. He is for those who have no access to anything. He puts up no walls. He is ultimately a God who draws people in. Our wisdom is an outgrowth of our time spent with Jesus. Number two, wisdom is an outgrowth of learning from others. Wisdom is an outgrowth of learning from others. I sit with people all the time who I seek, as Scripture says, their wise counsel. I sit with people who have gone ahead of me. I sit with people who have experienced and who know more, who have learned, who seemingly had this understanding of Jesus that's different than mine. So I sit with them to learn from them. I read books. I read articles on websites. I go to conferences. Why? To gain wisdom from others who know more than I do in light of this point. We can say wisdom is an outgrowth of our ability to humble ourselves to learn rather than make our thoughts be known. Wisdom is birthed by being those who live life learning from others that were around. Third, wisdom is an outgrowth of experience. How do we know this? Because you don't do the same things you did when you were in high school. You learned. I'm never gonna do that again. Oh my gosh, right? I mean, how many of you are like, I love doing all the things that I did in high school. Not like, I wouldn't like people say, I would never do those things. College, maybe for some of you, right? I mean, high school is perfect. College wasn't. Somewhere along the way, there was experiences that you had that said, that has taught me. I will never do that. If I touch this pan, it's burning and it burns me. I will never touch it again in case. Right. We learn, we gain wisdom through our experience of life. So when things happen. Like, if I make a hyper-spiritual, I could say, I've, when I, I've gone places, I've prayed for people for healing, I've seen some people healed, I've seen some people not healed. And in the context of all of those experiences, what do I now have? Wisdom, from my experience. And the fourth thing about wisdom is, wisdom is found in the context of community. Among other people, Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. The dangers we make decisions in a vacuum. God's put us in the context of other people. Yes, we listen to Jesus. He places us in the context of community to run our ideas past others and say, I'm feeling this. What do you think? There's advisors who were coming alongside us. How many of you made decisions and you're wishing either you had gotten wise counsel, you had sought this person, or you would actually listen to the wise counsel you got? Wisdom is birthed in these places. And so Paul's coming and saying, I don't want you to be unwise. I want you to be wise. I want you to, to know the Lord's will. And these decisions that aren't super clear, you know that by being with Jesus, learning from others, community, all these pieces, right, grow in the context of wisdom, which leads us to chapter, excuse me, verse 18 through 21. 18 21 is going to read uh, specifically verse 18 to us this morning. Again, it simply says this. And do not get drunk with wine. It says, therefore not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on and talking about the expression of what our life will look like as those who are filled by his Spirit. In verse 18, Paul tells people to not, so the idea is living in joy and knowing the Spirit here. In verse 18, Paul tells people to not get drunk with wine. That's imitating Jesus, right? He tells them instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, that's imitating Jesus. This is a very unique expression, very unique in the context of the New Testament. There are many places in Paul's letters where he tells Christ followers to to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. But comparing it to drunkenness, as he's doing here, is unique. And so just to honor the scripture we're reading, let's see what he's like. I just want to kind of give out some, some ideas, and I want you to consider these. I want you to consider. I want you to think about these things. I want you to write them off immediately. I want you to consider them. I'm just giving you things to process and to consider and think about in the context of your own time with Jesus, in the context of your small group, in the context of the conversation with other people. Number one, getting drunk with wine and being filled the Holy Spirit. Number one, they both produce physical responses. They both produce physical responses. One thing we know about being around people who are drunk, you know they're drunk. Alright? right. You know that they're drunk. Their reactions and their responses, they change by the minute, sometimes by the second. They are happy. They're sad. They're mad. They're funny. They're mean. They're quiet. All in the matter of minutes and seconds. They always, always have these physical responses going on in life. And here's the point Paul, I believe, is getting at. When filled with the Spirit, there is going to be a response both internally and I would say Externally. I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe the external expression of Jesus' life was different than the Pharisees. I believe what he presented, what he exhibited as one filled with the Spirit. Why did thousands of people follow him? Because he was good looking? No, Scripture says he was ugly. You might say, as a kid, say bug, but you can't say that in church, right? I mean, he was not a good-looking guy. There was nothing that drew people to him. It had to be something that he expressed because he was filled with God's Spirit. There was something physically that he manifests. And Paul's coming in the moment, I believe, and saying, man, when you get drunk with wine, you're wanting to escape and experience a numbness of something. But I want to say, I believe Paul's saying And the same response, the same things that you get from getting drunk with wine, you get in being filled with God's spirit. You get the fullness. You get the escape. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm wrestling, 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 depressed, 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 anxious, anxious, anxious. And then Jesus grabs my face and I look into the never-ending sea of his eyes. What do I find? I find hope. I find peace. I find love. I find joy. Does that, is that just an internal thing? Or does it change my demeanor also? It changes my demeanor. Have you been around people and you go, that, mm, they're filled with spirit, <laughs> right? You just know. And so Paul's getting in the moment saying, listen, it is important to recognize, don't do this. It leads to darkness. But when you are filled with God's Spirit, it's a deep well of joy that defines your existence and the worries and the pains and the problems of life fade for we're aware of the one who is the answer to everything. And Paul is saying our response to getting drunk with wine is comparable to being filled with God's Spirit. You cannot miss this. Like I've been with people who were overwhelmed. And, like, I mean, I was literally, I remember, I've told you this before, I'm praying this one, this one girl, and she was literally just wrestling. This was years ago, and I was, in, and I was praying for this girl who was struggling with suicide, and all of a sudden, something, as I prayed, something broke, and her countenance changed. Her countenance changed. And all of a sudden, I mean, like, she just began to laugh. And I don't know if you know this, but like laughter, is, is, is laughter is good medicine. And so sometimes when joy begins to overwhelm us, like streams of living water flowing through me, it just comes out. And so this person begins to laugh. And then they just begin like, and, they're like, and they just start running off. And I'm like, there you go. I guess they're good, right? Now isn't do that all the time. it's so my expectation is not that every time, but sometimes it is when people are being led by God's Spirit. And all I'm saying is this, that when we are filled with God's Spirit, it's going to change us. And it's going to affect us internally, and it's going to change us externally. The third, second thing we see is we have a choice in this. We have a choice in being filled with God's Spirit. Paul tells them, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Our drinking of wine is a decision we have control over. It's a position we place ourselves in. Being filled with the Spirit must in turn be similar. We can't fill ourselves. That's obviously the work of the Spirit, but we must be able to put ourselves in a confident position where the Spirit will fill us, or Paul wouldn't have made this command. He says, don't get drunk with wine It's a command to obey, but instead be continually being filled in the Holy Spirit. That's the other side of this. Obey that. Put yourself in a position of God's Spirit filling you. That's why we have spiritual disciplines. Why do you think we have prayer? Why do you think we have scripture? Why do you think we have worship? Why do you think we have meditation? Because those are things that we do that put us into the flow of God's spirit so he can continually, what? Be the living water that never runs dry inside of us. And the third thing is it's communal. Like we read this for ourselves individually. Okay, Jesus is going to come fill me. But Paul is writing to the church. He's saying, no, no, no. Like, it's individual, but I want to fill you communally. I want to be such a movement of my spirit that it literally fills the whole body of Christ at one time. There is movement of his spirit to fill us. He's expressing this command to them that each of them are to pursue an experience. Why? Because he knows it's the answer to our greatest need. We... Want to be a blessing and love others? You only can if God's Spirit is flowing through you. He wants you to have healing, breakthrough, and restoration. That only happens as God's Spirit moves through you. He wants us to move in power and do ministry for those that are in need. That only happens as God's Spirit every day is moving through us. Luke 11. Excuse me. Luke eleven, eleven through thirteen says, "Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, in comparison to God, right, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" So we come into this place of being awakened and aware of our sin that we're choosing that separates us from God. And we're frustrated. He's saying, just wake up and rise up from the dead and I'll shine on you. Right? And then when you do that, choose wisdom. Be with me. Listen to others. Live in community. Because in those places you will begin to learn this wisdom that's beyond your own knowing. And that requires, literally, it requires every day you not getting drunk with wine and leaving reality, but engaging the person of the Holy Spirit in every day, putting yourself in his flow because he is the living water. And every day I receive water and I give it to those in need and I receive more water because so I'm filled again and I give water away. I'm receiving and giving. I'm receiving and I'm giving. I'm doing a little dance move right there. right? See so yeah, It's like that's just the nature of it. We should live like this all day long. It's like the fire. It's like the fire back in the day. They take the bucket and they pass it along. They take the bucket and they pass it along. We are to continually being filled with the spirit. And he's about to say in, in that as you are filled with God's spirit, it's now going to enable you to be a good husband and a wife, to be a good parent and a good child. And it's going to speak to this slave relationship we're going to dive into in three weeks. But the idea of this is, The only way we can do anything well and live with wisdom and to conquer sin is by waking up and saying, fill me today. I want everything that you have for me. I'm going to read this from John Piper on the screen. He and I have theological differences, but I love this, but he says this. He says the Holy, just listen to this. Close your eyes and listen. The Holy Spirit is not like wine because he is a person and is free to come and go where he wills. Therefore, Luke 11, 13 is really important that we are those who are continually asking the Holy Spirit to come. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we must pray for it. And that is just what Paul does for them in verse 19. He asks his father, chapter 3, verse 19, he asks his father in heaven that the believers might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he gives this command, drink and pray, drink and pray, drink and pray. That's the work of God for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you make us as those, Lord, who are aware of, we're recognizing the conviction of your spirit. God, we recognize the sin in our lives. And God, would you make that very distasteful to us? We're praying this morning, Jesus, that you would cause wisdom as we arise and you shine on us, that wisdom would be birthed, God, so we would know the decisions, the answers to the decisions, the steps you're calling us to make every day of our life, of imitating you and loving those that were around. And Father, we pray, God, that today we ask... Would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit? Without limitation, would you fill us? Would you fill us today, Jesus? For those who were in darkness, we're asking you to fill them with knowledge. That you would fill them with wisdom. That you would fill them with conviction. For those, Jesus, who were living in fear, they it's like the cage has been opened for them to walk out into the fullness, but God, they just live in the cage because it's all that they know. We ask Jesus you would fill them with confidence and with faith and with hope to step out. I pray for those, of Jesus, Lord, who are, who are tired and they're weary because all they've been doing is, this, is giving and giving and giving, but they have not been receiving. They've not been taking time to let themselves be filled with your spirit. We're asking this morning, God, would you fill us as individuals? And God, would you fill this community as a whole? Jesus, we're asking now that you would break down the dam that we've created and just allow your spirit to flow in fullness. We pray this in name.